I feel that. The people that really win in life, that stay in the fire, in the burn longer than the next guy, they are connecting to a pain and they are leveraging it in ways that the average person just has never figured out. And many people have pain and they don't figure out how to leverage it. It doesn't turn into this rocket fuel. I had to grow up fast. So my parents were divorced at six months old, never knew my parents together. My mother, a handful of years later, was diagnosed with a rare muscle disease called amyloidosis. And my mom taught me that every day is a gift. To really understand and to go on a mission, why and purpose is not enough. You have to understand this underlying burn because it's your burn that ignites your why and purpose that then causes you to show up on the days that you don't want to do it and especially after you win. It's not the rings, it's not the bling, it's not the money, it's the pursuit of the example that you're setting for somebody. The highest performers, they realize, I'm an example for somebody. And if I waste my days, I'm wasting the example or the gift that God gave me to be this example and somebody's gonna fall short of their best self. A lot of people, they say, well, I'm doing well, I'm going on the vacations that I want. That's you being caught up in the results. And yes, you did great, but because you didn't show up every day, you accepted that it was okay to be great, but you never really attacked your ability to achieve at your highest possible level. If you're here with us today, this is a real treat. We got Ben Newman in the room and selfishly, like this is a huge gift. Ben's a hard guy. When you have that much demand and you've built a career like Ben Newman, it's not easy to get 30 minutes of his time. So we're going to be really quick here and try to extract as much gold as we can. But this is really like a 10-hour conversation um, that we're going to try to have here in a snippy amount of time. But if you don't know who Ben Newman is, you're in for a treat. He's in the top five. I just saw this. USA Today ranked in the top five in the world mindset and performance coaches. Number one, congratulations. Yeah, he's congrats. <laughs> Thank you Incredible. so much. Thank you. I, there's a bunch of notes. I Listen, if you... The 18-year overnight success story. <laughs> That's what it is, right? I wrote... These are the just the list of achievements I wrote down. I got to rip through a few of these, and then we'll dive yeah. in. But... Um, so not only is he ranked by USA Today and the top five mindset coaches in the world, and my, and my men, personal one-on-one mentor is also in that list. So this is a real honor. Like, I love this stuff, Ed Milet. But um, international speaker, best-selling author, wrote an, an incredible book called Uncommon Leadership. These clients of this gentleman right here include Fortune 500 companies, um, performance and, and, and mindset coach and consultant to his alma mater at Michigan State University. He served five years as the mental conditioning coach for the 18-time national champion, Alabama Crimson Tide. So I got to ask you about Nick Saban. Once we get there, I mean, He's one of the 11 in the book. Yeah, yeah. Like legendary. (laughs) Amazing. Um, Also the performance coach with Kansas State football. Um, And that's for, I think, the last eight years. And Ben has also worked with coaches and players from the last six Super Bowl championship teams. So right there, you're hearing it. Like right there, there's much to be gleaned just listening. Amazing. Well, I, I appreciate all that, but stop making this about me. Let's make it about all the right. people. Come on now. Well, they got to know that there's some moral authority in the room that, that so their hearts can connect to you. There's a lifetime of achievement there, Ben. You must be really proud. This is incredible. When you talk about the best in class, the best in the world, I, I obsess over this topic. Me personally, I love this. And I like to really strike that chord in people to get them to think about themselves as the best in class, the best in the world. I think thinking big is really important. You actually are around these people on a regular basis. And I love using that metaphor of the arena and, and athletes to try to connect people, and even in their regular lives, to their next version of themselves. 
When you get around the best in the world, what is, I mean, even these Fortune 500 companies, you get around this big leadership. What are some of the common things that you see that you are working with when you get inside with these guys? Like, what are the, some of the common problems for people that are already playing at high levels? So I, the, the biggest problem that can be created, and this is regardless of your Nick Saban with all the national championships to a member of the amazing mastermind that you have right there in Coeur d'Alene, oftentimes the biggest problem is how do you show up after you mm -hmm. win? And your behavior after you win says so much about your belief system in chasing your ability to be your best. Mm -hmm. So I could give you story after story. I mean, there were five years at Alabama with Nick Saban, two national championships. I don't care when I showed up. It could be the middle of October. We're 5-0. and oh, We're number one in the country. We're winning by 50 points a game. And you would hear him break down that team after practice. And you would think this was the worst football team that ever walked the face of the earth. When are you guys going to start working hard? When are you going to start competing? Because there's just no complacency in chasing greatness. And then there's the other side of it where there's individuals who, when they're winning, they actually pull back from the behaviors that were causing them to win because they become seduced by success. And then they start to question, why was success taken from me? It's like, nobody took anything from you. You stopped doing the things that you were doing to drive success. So we have to maintain and establish expectations, awareness, and behaviors that are in alignment with always chasing that next level. That's incredible. Yeah, you think about the best. They're, they're all so good. What, what makes the Tom Brady the Tom Brady? What are the small separators at that level? Because everyone's yeah. so talented at some point. And I love guys that are in that game. It reminds me of Mark Few here locally. He's the coach for Gonzaga basketball here locally. Oh, I, yeah, I'm, a, I'm a huge hoops yeah. guy. So Mark Few is Isn't a legend, he? Hall of Famer, yeah. legend. Well, the, the question I'm posing to you is this. So what I notice about guys like Mark Few and, and, and Saban, these guys are able to create culture that even though the, you may have a player come in and out, and that's hard with college because it's such a short window of time of your influence, especially in a small town like Spokane for Gonzaga. You have to build this insane culture. And I really love tapping into this because there's so much to learn. How do you create a culture that really sets a standard of excellence that allows guys to come in and perform at their highest levels? So I'll, I'll share this with you. Let me give me permission to kind of open this one up and, and drive this for a second here. So I had the opportunity to work at North Dakota State. That's where my work in college football started. So won a handful of national championships there. Coach Chris Kleiman brought me with him to Kansas State. So now I'm in my ninth season with Coach Kleiman. We won a Big 12 championship last year. So I've seen national championships at North Dakota State, guys going to the NFL. Carson Wentz was our quarterback my first year there. So incredible things. Go then you have Alabama, two national championships. Here's the thing that's unique. I got to see what an established culture looks like at North Dakota State. I just got lucky. I mean, when your first job is a team that had already won four straight national championships, I just got lucky they put me in the right place. Then I had the opportunity to go work for Coach Saban. That was a culture that was already established. Mm -hmm. The real opportunity where I can share perspective is what we've done at Kansas State. See, because when we came to Kansas State, everybody told us, we're crazy. Literally, why would you take this job, they say to Coach Kleiman? You're winning national championships. You're replacing a Hall of Famer. The stadium is named after Bill Snyder. Why would you take this job? 
and the team has been underperforming. They're not going to bowl games. People don't want to come play football in Manhattan, Kansas. So all you had to do was believe in yourself and believe that you could build a culture because it was almost like you're at rock bottom. And in four years, we were able to build a Big 12 championship program, which nobody ever would have expected. And the answer, Eric, Matt, culture. And we established when we got there a culture where everybody had to check their egos. Everybody had to have a willingness to buy in. Everybody had to say, hey, we're going to pound away at this stone. That's a a theme that I brought to the team, pound the stone. It's now a freaking Nike logo on the stadium scoreboards. I should have had them sign some sort of a damn thing for me (laughs) to make some money off the deal. But we talked about pounding the stone and giving it your all one day at a time. And the kids, over time, they started to just buy in and they bought in. And in the fourth year, this is one of the keys that I, I teach with teams in sports as well as in business. The greatest teams are teams where the players or the members of the team take ownership. And last year, the players took ownership. It's really hard to create culture if it's just a coach who's got ego and he's pointing a finger, do this, do that, listen to me, I know what I'm doing. That's not going to build culture. Culture is when a group of men say, I want to fight for 60 minutes. I want to give it everything that I have. I don't care what that scoreboard says. I will fight six seconds of play. I will stay connected to the burn that drives me. And until we see zeros, I'm going to give it everything that I've got. And they own it. That is how you create a culture. So good. You know, that, so I want to ask you a question just on that point in culture creation. One of the things in digesting your content, you really emphasize uh, going after the problems. And in, in our local mastermind, our brand, we, we talk about slaying dragons. Yeah. And part of the growth involves deliberately detailing the biggest dragons you have in your life, approaching them, and then getting after them. And I've heard you talk about a unique angle on going after problems. How do you, could you elaborate on that? And how does that play into the culture? Yeah, so, you know, uh, you guys know this because I see the stuff that you guys are doing as well. And I'm very impressed. I love the energy you guys bring. I know Eric from his work with Ed Milet and us having the opportunity to meet. Like, I know the way he shows up in life. I love it. Here's, here's the problem with most people that are in our space of doing what we do. That's why I love your approach of how you do what you do. Most people that are in this space say, just stare up at the sky, tell yourself you believe, go outside and plant your feet in the ground for 20 seconds and just watch it all happen. And I think to myself, what are you going to do? You're going to tell them we're going to slide down rainbows and ride around on unicorns after that? I mean, that, that's not the way that winning is done. You have to be honest with people. And in my latest book, The Standard, it's literally on page 24 in The Standard, there's a diagram. It's the four P's of The Standard. And what you're alluding to is when I hammer, the first P is the problem. For every single one of us, Matt, Eric, me, you're, right now you're either dealing with a problem, you just made it through a problem, you're about to walk yourself right into a problem, or you've been winning at such a high level, it's going to become a problem because you're going to become complacent. And when we operate from a place of that's reality, reality is not you stare up at the sky and it just happens. 
You know, Eric doesn't have a body like that because he just wakes up and he goes, oh, dear God, let me be ripped. And all of a sudden he's ripped. That's not the way that it works. You watch what you eat. You watch how you train. You're meticulous in what you do. You're aware of all the details. And then you go hammer the gym. It's the same thing in business. It's the same thing in sports. And I'm tired of people just saying that there's no work involved or trust the process. What kind of nonsense is trust the process? You certainly have to have a process and you have to trust what the steps are. But if you don't attack the process, nothing is going to happen. So Eric could literally say, here's a diet plan. Here's a workout plan. And I trust that's the plan. But if Eric doesn't attack the plan, you don't look like that. And then you're not the example for people who want to push and challenge themselves to be their best. That is how winning is done. We have to be honest with people. Let people know it's okay to talk about problems. It's okay to slay those dragons and attack problems, but that's reality. We all face problems, and if you believe you can work through it and you attack the process to work through it, you'll drive success through it. I have so, so many questions that rip through my mind. You guys got me. Fi- you guys have got me fired up today. Like you got me lit. I love man. You, your energy is contagious, and um, and I love the reason I love this conversation with you particularly is because I love to think about the best in class. Like, who is the number one in the world? What does that look like? Like, why not compare yourself to that? What a wasted life if you're not trying to be the best at something. And I don't think a lot of people, it's not that they have dreams and don't achieve them. It's they have dreams and achieve them. They just don't think that far about their lives. And that's where that comfort and safety bubble sort of settles in. They get a few accomplishments. But then you think of the best in the world. And I often ask this question because I feel obsessed myself. But I think it's a healthy obsession. I, I, I wonder often, are the best in class, are they obsessed with their craft? Is it literally a living, breathing, they're almost to the point where they're willing to die for their craft, for the love. That is, is that what is one of these secret pieces that's actually the reality when you get near people that are performing at the highest levels? It's an obsession with the process and the pursuit of figuring out how great you can be. That's what I found. I'll share this with you. 2020... Alabama wins the national championship. I'm at the team hotel. I wake up in the morning and we had just had an amazing night the night before celebrating with the team and the guys and the coaches. And I mean, just an amazing, that was the COVID year. I think arguably when you throw COVID in it, maybe the best college football team of all time, blessed to have been the performance coach for that team. And you wake up and I'm texting the strength coach. I'm talking like 30 to 45 minutes after I wake up and we're both so fired up to run it back and do it again. Wow. Because you almost, when you, when you know that you're giving it your best mm. and you know that you're part of a culture like Alabama where all these kids are bought in, that's why all, they win all the awards. That's why they all go to the NFL. That's why, you know, you, you look at the number of players. That, I mean, it's just amazing what Saban has built. But we're literally texting about wanting to run it back because you know we knew we were going to win a chip the byproduct of showing up that way is championships Mm. and so you know all these rings that are behind my head when I look at those rings like I you almost know you're going to win those rings before the season even starts Mm -hmm. because these kids are bought into the process that it takes to win a ring so it's almost it's a matter of how great are we going to be when we go get that and then when you get it because you already knew it was going to happen. Like, let's go do it again because it's not the rings. It's not the bling. It's not the money. It's the pursuit of the example that you're setting for somebody. And and that to me, the the highest performers, they realize I'm an example for somebody. 
And if I waste my days, I'm wasting the example or the gift that God gave me to be this example, and somebody's going to fall short of their best self. Mm -hmm. So it it isn't even about you. That's, That's what I love about Ed. I know it's the same for you, Eric. You get in a room with Ed, Ed feels like he's accomplished nothing. And Ed makes me feel like I haven't even started yet. And like, we need that in our lives because Ed's going to keep going. It's like those mentors that you'll never catch. I love it. I don't even want to catch Ed. Ed, keep going, brother. I love you because you make me better because you're an example. That that, that to me is what it's all about. You know, Ben, I want to throw a question on your success because I know, you know, we kicked off this podcast and you humbly were like, look, man, I don't want to focus on my accomplishments. But something really struck me about you as I prepped for this interview. Eric and I, of course, we run this podcast, Man on a Mission. So the word mission. And of course, in our coaching group, we really invite people to get very clear about their personal mission in life. And something we notice is all the top performers we've interviewed it's rare to find one who isn't crystal clear about their, their personal mission. And sure enough, I was combing through your stuff and, and I won't share your story, but you were like, you know, since I was 25 years old, I've been telling me this myself, this, this mission every day. And I'd love for you. So it's a two part question because we also like to start here. We want to know your mission personally. And we always say you can only go as high as you've been low. Oftentimes a mission is, is sparked out of a hardship or a pain. And if you could give us a sense of your own personal mission, where does that come from? Yeah. So, you know, for those that don't know my story, I had to grow up very, very fast. And so I'm a very emotional guy. Just like we were talking about emotion before we kicked off. I cry when I watch extreme home makeovers, <laughs> like that's me and I'm fine. I'll yeah. admit it. I'm good with it. I'm <laughs> right fine. I, I, I cry. We're good. I'm, yeah. I'm good. I had to grow up fast. So my parents were divorced at six months old, never knew my parents together. My mother, a handful of years later, was diagnosed with a rare muscle disease called amyloidosis. Amyloids, every single one of you in your muscles, you have amyloids. If you have an excess of amyloids, you'd have a disease called amyloidosis, slowly eats away at your muscles. Of course, your heart is a muscle that's going to take your life. Even in 2023, there's no cure for the disease. So here I was, I'm a seven-year-old boy. If you can picture this, we have 24-hour nursing care in our home, and my mother would come to the dining room table with an IV stand. Sometimes it took one nurse, sometimes it took two nurses. Literally, she's coming from what was once a TV room and and a video game room. It's a hospital room, hospital bed in our home, one foot in front of the other, one foot in front of the other, one foot, sit at the head of the dining room table. And to look at my older brother and to say, how was your day at school? And then to look at me and say, honey, how was your day at school? And I always got the honey because I was the younger son. So I was the the lucky one. Mm -hmm. And my mom taught me that every day is a gift. And my mother passed away 11 days before my eighth birthday. And I encourage everybody listening to understand that why and purpose is not enough. To be on a real mission, you have to understand what I call your burn. And Eric's going to be coming on the burn. So for those of you, if you didn't get enough here, we're going to rock it out on the burn. And so to really understand and to go on a mission, why and purpose is not enough. You have to understand this underlying burn because it's your burn that ignites your why and purpose that then causes you to show up on the days that you don't want to do it and especially after you win. So when I think of my mother's life, 
She passes away. Think about this. 11 days before my eighth mm-hmm. birthday. My mother was 38 years old. I just I turned imagine. 45 years old. <laughs> that means I've been given seven extra years that my mother never got. And you think I'm going to waste a day? So when I wake up and I connect my alarm clock, literally when Ed had me on his podcast, he, he was fascinated that I named my alarm. And we went through this whole story of how my alarm says Janet Fishman Newman. So now imagine. Amazing. I look at my alarm clock. It has my mother's name on it. You think I'm going to go hit the snooze button and go back to bed? There's no hitting the snooze button. So you as an individual, you're not going to be motivated by my burn, but I encourage everybody, find that burn inside of you that when you think of it, there's no wasting a day. It might be pain, like so many of your guests have talked about. It might be sacrifice. Hey, my mom and dad had to have three jobs for me to play traveling basketball to go become, uh, you know, a division one basketball player. So when you think of their sacrifice, you're not going to waste a practice or or you're currently sacrificing for somebody. Go deeper, connect to that burn, let it ignite your life. And that's when I feel when you're connected that way, you can get on a mission and you almost become unstoppable in this pursuit of your very best because you're unwilling to waste days. Oh, I feel that. Yeah. We, it's crazy you bring this stuff up and you hit on all these points that just light me up. One of these things, these points I personally try to make to the world, especially now that I'm speaking on stages. Every week I'm on some sort of stage now. Every week since May, I'm on some sort of stage and I always describe people as the barbarians and this fear that they're going to stone you to death. And I, early on, when I started down this road of stepping into the light, you know, I had all this success in my life, but I was behind the scenes of my businesses. I had never really stepped in the light until Ed held my hand and really challenged me to not mm. only challenge me, but it was almost like the validation I was looking for. Like I needed permission to do it. And as I started doing it and feeling these emotions myself and then studying people like you, Ben, people that are, have achieved greatness, especially in this space, one of the things I keep coming to I, I broke it down to three things, literally. So I broke it down to uh, as far as the formula for what winning, where it really comes from. And pain was the first thing I really tapped into. The people that really win in life, that stay in the fire, in the burn longer than the next guy, they are connecting to a pain and they are leveraging it in ways that the average person just has never figured out. And many people have pain and they don't figure out how to leverage it. It doesn't turn into this rocket fuel. And a lot of the pain could be these chips on your shoulder. There's different types of pain. It could be pain from someone's death that was very dear to you, like your mother. Uh, It could be pain from having an alcoholic, abusive father. But there's always this pain that people leverage. And I've connected that with death in and of itself. For me, it was death that really got me to think about the clock that's always ticking. It never goes away. And the third piece I paired with it personally was mission. But beyond that, you tapped into all three just in this last sentiment here. And it was a unique validation for these points that I've been making. When it comes to, let's just say football, like you, let's bring it back. I mean, I love yeah. sports. It's such a great analogy maker because it's relatable. I, yeah, it is. And whether you're running a business or not, everything about sports, it's a really great connector yeah. to what, how you're running your team. It could be, a, you know, my furniture store, it doesn't matter, the jewelry store, whatever I'm doing, I, I can think of it as like, I'm the coach, I'm running a team, trying to motivate and inspire and bring out the best of these people, create a culture. But in that that level, everyone's trying to win a Super Bowl. Like let's just let's just go straight to the NFL or a national championship in, in the NCAA. Everyone's trying to win, and everyone is so good at that level. I don't think that the, it can be goal or outcome. The goals can't be outcome based because everyone's goal is to win the Super Bowl. So like really trying to get beneath the surface of how to get the culture to perform 
to the level that'll get you to the Super Bowl. I think the goals have to be more process-based, like how we practice, how we think, how we gel as a team. When you come into a situation where someone, maybe a team is, 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 is out, their goal is the outcome, winning the Super Bowl. I think that's so easy to say, like this year we're gonna do that and that's all they talk about. Is that a right approach or is it more in the other details, the one degree shifts, the small things that no one's really even looking at? Yeah, so first off, I mean, you, you have to have vision and goals, right? So you have to have an understanding of where you're going. Yeah. People who tend to underperform they want to hold on so tightly yeah. to the results rather than saying, here, we're going to win a Super Bowl. Every, every team, right? I mean, there's 32 teams. I promise you at training camp, every team, their goal is to win a Super Bowl. But there are those teams who have a willingness to say, we want to win a Super Bowl, but we're going to grab that vision. We're going to pull it down. We're going to put it right in front of our face. And we have a group of men that are willing to attack one day at a time, manufacturing one 60-minute game at a time, one play at a time, and we're committed to doing what it takes. We don't have to win every game. If we lose a game, we're going to break down the game film, scrutinize our behaviors, figure out how we can. They get so connected to the process that the byproduct is you go to the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll give you a, a perfect example of this. You take a look at Jalen Hurts with the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah. I write about Jalen in my book, The Standard. I was able to work with Jalen at Alabama. There's an amazing story in The Standard. I never do this. I'm going to make you buy the damn book in order to read the story. All of you listening, because literally the story is worth whatever the hell the book is on, on sale for on Amazon, 20 bucks, 20, whatever the hell it is. This one story is worth it. But there's an amazing story about Jalen. So I saw Jalen at Alabama. Jalen then transferred to Oklahoma. We actually beat. Oklahoma, when, when we were at Kansas State in our first year, so Jalen and I still to this day, we joke about it. Every time he sees me, he's like, man, I, I can't believe that you beat yeah. us. And so think about that. He's still, all these years yeah. later, pissed off at me that we beat him. That's how much he cares about winning in the process. Now you go to what he's doing at the Eagles. I've had a blessing of working with their vice president of player performance, Ted Rath, as well as players on the team. I worked with Ted Rath for six years. I was with the team at the Super Bowl last year. And when you see Jalen Hurts in his interviews, people are like, man, it's like, is he trying to be Saban? No, he's a young man who had a father who was a high school coach who taught him the process. He then had the blessing to go with Coach Saban, who taught him the process. He then went to a team like Oklahoma, amazing tradition, process. All he's ever been around is process. So when you hear this, it's not lip service, it's not for the media. All he cares about is getting better every single day. Let me just share this story because it's amazing. If we go a little over on time, I'm, I'm good with it. Thanks, but, so I was there for off-season training. Okay, so I, I'm there. So if you can picture this, I'm in the weight room. I'm there at the Philadelphia Eagles facility. Jalen Hurts, three days earlier, had signed his $250 million contract. If you think it's just about the money and results, listen to this story. So he just signs for $250 million. Jalen Hurts was the only player on the team that was wearing a weight vest during the workout. Why was he wearing a weight vest during the workout? Because Jalen Hurts believes what I believe. The greatest don't do what's required, they do the unrequired. And the unrequired are the things that other people can't see, they don't wanna talk about, they're not gonna do, that the highest performers in the world make a priority. 
So when the players look at Jalen Hurts, he's not saying, man, I just signed for $250 million. I don't need to work anymore. He says, I'm going to put a damn weight vest on when you watch so me train. And then you won't believe this. The facility, the weight room at the Eagles, it's not very big. And in these off-season workouts for OTAs, they put the whole damn team in there. They're all training together, and that's when the roster's at 90 men. You can hardly even move in there. And Jalen Hurts, to start his workout, he was doing reverse leg curls, and then he went over to kettlebell pushes. And he literally gets done with a set on reverse leg curls, and he jogged over to do these kettlebells. When I say jog, like you see how slow I'm moving? That's literally what he was doing. But he was he was in the action of jogging because he says, I'm not going to walk. And even if it's this crowded, you will see me move as fast as I can, even though it's a light jog, over to that kettlebell. And so 250 million coming off of a Super Bowl. There's no content behavior. The kid lives Mm -hmm. and breathes Mm -hmm. process. I know that's a long answer to your question, but I figured it was very fitting because that's that's what it is. And I promise you, whether it's this year or whether it's next year, Jalen Hurts will win Super Bowls in the NFL. I promise you that. I've known this kid for six years. He is going to win Super Bowls. He is flat out special. It takes a Jalen Smith on at least one on every team. You got to have someone that does the unrequired and sets the standard in the tone within the players. It's one thing for a coach to try to demand the standard. Yeah. But to have a player owning that and doing it, especially after a big contract, it, it, you know, the reality what these guys are facing, now it's in college. There's all this money everywhere. And how that changes the standards and the kind of the comfort thresholds is interesting. Coaches really have to battle with this, with this problem of all this money tr- changing the environment mm. of these young kids. And now it's in college. I mean, let me ask you, just because I got you here and I'm curious myself, <laughs> how is money changing these college situations now? I mean, these big schools have big boosters and big money. I, I don't know how these smaller schools like GU are going to compete when all this money now is on the table and these kids' are, eyes must be wide open. No, I don't. How do you keep culture going when now these early dollars are starting to show up for these young bucks? Great question. Well, you know, the key is, is you have to have those players who own it, who are willing to get in the locker room because it's a very difficult position because, you know, coaches really can't say, hey, don't go focus on your opportunity to build your brand and make money on your name because, it's okay for sure. the kids to do that. I mean, they've, they've earned the right to do that. They've worked hard. It's a win-win for the universities, and now they can capitalize on that. It's a great thing. The problem becomes, and this is the fear that I have. There's a lot of fears that I have with NIL. Mm. Number one, these kids have to understand they owe taxes. I've, I've got some dear friends who are in the financial space. They actually go into the universities. Hillary Seiler, DDA Occident, Jed Collins, they're actually going in and educating these universities because these kids have to understand, like, if you get paid $100,000, like, you're going to owe taxes. That doesn't just go into your pocket. But then the other part of this is you have kids who receive $100,000 and it actually seduces them from of success and they never go get the big bag in the NFL because they're living on the hundred grand. So that's the other fear. Somebody has to educate these kids, pretend like you almost didn't get the money or spend some of the money, but don't let that money deter you from making the 250 sure. million that Jalen has. Has this did. become part of your message to your players too? Are you embedding this? I mean, it's, 
when you're like for me at Kansas State, you know, when you're a, a mental performance coach, you know, it's as part of the staff, you know, you have to be very careful. That needs to come from, sure. you know, an outside voice. But there's things that I mention if I'm concerned to say, hey, like, you know, stay in and lean in and make sure you've got the right people who are on your team. I want to encourage them to get the help that they need. Of course, we have to have those those conversations. But, you know, we're not involved yeah. in who they're talking to or the money they're getting paid. That's just the, the university can't have that involvement. That's between companies and them and brands. Here's the, here's the piece where I, I think it's important that I share this. Will Anderson at Alabama. Okay, so the first year we're NIL. So Will Anderson, who was a first-round draft pick, one of the most talented young defensive players in the league, the guy is just unbelievable now with the Houston Texans. He went into the locker room. Coaches didn't have to say anything. And he said, when you come into this locker room, we're all about football. Whatever money you want to make and whatever you want to do when you walk out of this building, that's okay. But when you walk into this building, we're all about yeah. football. And so the teams that you're finding that are excelling, there are these teams, like I mentioned, like at Kansas State, where these kids have taken ownership. Go make your money. Go work your deals. I hope you do get a lot of branding stuff. But when you come in this building, we go to work. Mm. And so that's where back to that culture piece – when these kids understand it and they take ownership, they're not going to allow they're not going to allow money to get in their way of winning a championship or figuring out how great they can be. It, it, it's tough to maneuver. It's far different than when I started in college sure. football 10 years ago. I didn't think we'd be dealing with some of these issues. But the kids who understand how to handle it, they're part of the programs that you're seeing continue to thrive. I wonder if, if part of the, the angle is making sure it's part of that culture, staying really grounded connected to the to the where the real pain in the world exists somehow embedding like a deeper meaning of bringing god into the equation as part of the culture piece i don't know how far coaches go this is interesting to me to try to keep some of these kids feet on the ground because they're still children they're still yeah. so young and, and to be in contact with all this money man i just hope it doesn't turn into a lifestyle that's so premature for a young still developing yeah, yeah, like, mindset yeah, yeah. Yeah, Rob. Yeah, you know, you some people do forget. I mean, these are 18 to 22 year old kids. Some of them, your full brain development hasn't yeah. even completely taken place by that point. Your ability to rationalize and to completely understand every decision that you make, you're kind of on the back end of your life of establishing that in your brain at that yeah. age. So you're, you nailed it, Eric. I mean, it, it's this it's this period of time that is just so uncertain for them. And then you put that uncertainty of how do I deal with this? It's very difficult. Faith is important in many programs within the country, and I always think it's a blessing when the faith is brought into yeah. those cultures and those programs. And one of the things when you refer to the pain, and this is whether it's my work in sports or in the business world, I don't want anybody to have regret. Mm. So you may have a conversation with a player that says, gosh, what a blessing that things are going well for you, but let's make sure we show up every day and do what you need to do because I don't want you having regret that the big bag that's waiting for you isn't going to be there because you fell short of accomplishing what you could have yeah. here. Right. So those are the real conversations that sometimes have to be had because that goes back to the burn. Mom and dad made this ultimate sacrifice for you. If you really want to take care of mom and dad, you got to keep working one day at a time because there's a big bag waiting for you sure. at the next level. Is the psychology any different when you work with Fortune 500 companies and their leadership there compared to sports? Is there a, is there any difference in how you approach success in that field? I was I was literally literally yesterday was on a end of the year planning call with a multi billion dollar medical device company company that I do a lot of work with and I was having a similar conversation with them and I literally painted a picture 
I, and I kind of I kind of walked them right into it. So they literally just had this monster month in October is the best month of the year. Blew out quota. Everybody's excited. How do you show up after you win? And so what I did was I took them all the way out to three years. And I said, let's you, you go out to three years. You've grown. You've made great money. You've gone on all these great vacations. You've done all these great things. And I said, but now I want you to look back. I want you to look back. At, and yes, you did great. But because you didn't show up every day, you didn't get the promotion to become VP. You didn't get the promotion to become a regional director. So you accepted that it was okay to be great, but you never really attacked your ability to achieve at your highest possible level. And you should have seen their faces. It was like, oh, that wasn't fair. You totally walked <laughs> us into this because a lot of people, they say, well, I'm doing well. I'm going on the vacations that I want. But that, back to earlier, that's you being caught up in the results. Are we chasing yeah. a great vacation? Or are we chasing you actually being your very best? Because what I've found for me and for the high performers I work with, you go on vacation wherever you want when you work your ass off every day. Totally, that's never an issue. Yeah, that's never a problem. Yeah. All those things take care of themselves. True. And you travel the way that you want to and you do the things that you want to. And, yeah. and that's a byproduct of giving it your best one day at a time. And then to catch them, because the VP had shared the information with me, I said, you all hit 100% of your quota, but only 55% of you actually hit your quota that month. Mm -hmm. So there were people who were at 116%, 132%, 118%, 110%. <laughs> A little over half actually made up the 100%. So when I'm giving them this example, we can celebrate as a team and you can get lost in you doing okay but are you really attacking your greatness? And that's where I love to challenge people, whether it's in business or in sports, because that wakes them up. And I never, I, I'll never tell, raise your hand if you were part of this group or that group, but I want them to feel it. I want them to look in the mirror and say, you know what? I was at 70%. I could be at 100%. I don't want that regret. I'm going to work harder. Because I think that's our responsibility as a coach is to challenge people to not have that regret and have awareness to what they need to do to win every day. Ben, what's one of your... You've you've worked with the top of the top, like even your your book outlines like incredible winners. Do you have like a an example of someone you were really personally moved by in terms of their turnaround that may not be a big name? Like in all your coaching, is there an example of someone that quietly moved you more than maybe the people the name brands we know today? Like Oh man, I, there's there's so many. I, I'll tell you, I'll give you one that nobody nobody will know his name. And there's so many different stories like that because I, I love the underdog yeah. stories. Literally, you could take that 51 jersey right there, Will Compton, first player that I ever worked with in the NFL. Yeah. Will has become like an uncle to my kids, one of my dear dear friends. Finally retired this year. He that he and Taylor Lewan have one of the most famous podcasts in the world, Bussing with the Boys. And he had me down to Nashville to get on the bus to do his retirement episode. It was it was amazing. I love the kid to death. He's an amazing story because everybody told him that he couldn't, and then he did. But the story that I, I'll tell you, which is one of my favorites, my work in sports, and I, I hope everybody hears this correctly. Everybody and Eric. I love seeing you on all these stages. I know you're about to hit the Aspire Tour. Like, you are killing it on so many different levels. I love seeing all of it. And one of the things, people want to work at Alabama. I want to be on the Aspire Tour stage. I want to go speak at, at this boot camp. I want to go do this. But most people don't want to do the work. And so, believe it or not, a lot of people, sometimes we get to this in interviews, sometimes we don't. My first job in sports was my high school basketball team. Mm -hmm. 
My old high school basketball coach called me in 2011 and said, Benny boy, come fire these boys up. Yeah. He still calls me <laughs> Benny boy to this day. I literally take him to a Kansas State game. He travels with me every year. He's characters and books that I've written. I love this man to death. One of the greatest mentors in my life. Benny boy, come fire him up. And I went to my old high school. It wasn't Alabama. Yeah. It wasn't Kansas State. It wasn't the Philadelphia Eagles. I said yes for no money. Yeah. And I went back for nine years and helped my high school basketball oh, wow. team. That's how my work in sports started. Everybody was like, hey, Ben, can you get me in at Alabama? I'm like, have you ever spoken to a sports team? And yeah. they're like, right. no. And I'm like, well, I started at my high school in 2011. Yes. There was a young man, to finally get to your answer, his name was Cornell Johnston, Lil T, we called yeah. him, five foot six. Everybody told him. You're too small. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do this. You can't do that. Soaking wet, the kid probably weighed 120 yeah. pounds. He is now the career scoring leader at our high school, <laughs> set the record, took the team to back-to-back -back conference championships. They hadn't won a championship in 10 years. <laughs> Everybody told him, Lil T, you will never play Division I basketball he went and played Division I basketball. He was the starting point guard at Eastern Illinois, yeah. which is where Tony Romo oh, played yeah. football. Starting point guard, set the assist record as a freshman. Maybe he was up to 130 pounds at this point, still five foot six. And he led the United States, all of NCAA, in three-point shooting as a freshman. Yeah. So that's a story. Nobody knows that kid's wow. name. But when you talk about the belief that every single one of your listeners has. You either believe that you can do those things or you listen to the bullshit of the naysayers yeah. and the media and people telling you that you can't and you go live in that so land. Good. I choose to surround myself with people who love me, believe in me. I put my faith in God and I put my faith in work every single day. And then you mm. have the blessing of meeting kids like Little T who show you what's Little possible T, in I, life. I have to say this, man. That reminds me of the, the gospel of the parables or the, the talents rather. Because the whole, in the gospel of the talents, Christ, whatever you're given, you just have to max it out. It's like some are given 10 talents, some are given five. <clears throat> Little T was given less. And look at, I admire that more yeah. than those are given 10 talents out of the gates. Yeah. Powerful story. Yeah, the underdog story is powerful, for sure. I noticed this. Every I, have a, I don't even know if I've ever even like brought him up on a, a maybe it's been years since I did, but it's just, I'm having so much fun rolling <laughs> yeah. with you guys. It's amazing hope, to, to rekindle that for I me. I hope you share it with him when we get this maybe published. We'll tag yeah. little T in this. I'll just say every, and number one, this is an honor. Thank you so much for doing this, yeah, Ben. I know your you. time is pressing, but I just want to add with, or maybe end with this thought or tee it up for you a little bit. Um, Every time I'm, I'm doing these interviews with people that I greatly admire, like yourself, and um, I'm, I'm so lucky and blessed and grateful for every, every bump in the road for me that got me here is like I feel it all the time. But I can't help but like extract things from every person that I come across. And one of the things I keep pulling out of great people like yourself is this love and this passion and this energy for what they do. And it begs the question, like, if you don't love what you do, absolutely love it. Like, can you really be that good at it when you're competing against people in the marketplace that have a profound love for their craft? And I don't think you really can. I think the love will outshine. You described this vacation mentality. I totally get it. 
Like, like, like a sandy beach does nothing for me. Like the real excitement is me being in the arena. And now I'm in a business. Mm. I, this next chapter of my life is in, in a business that I realize is what I'm meant to do with my life. And to be able to stumble upon that at 39 years old is how old I am. To be able to stumble on now is profound, but I see it in you. I see it in all these great people. I see it in all the athletes that we're, that we're talking about. Like, you know there's this love there, this childhood love. And for me, it wasn't necessarily a childhood love that got me here, but I know this is love. This is real. I don't know if you can be successful without love, but it's definitely something that I see in you. And that is a gift that definitely translates. Mm. You feel it? I, I greatly appreciate you saying that. I, I feel like you you have to step into your passion every day. You have to step into that burn and that purpose and that fire every single day. And I'll leave you all with this other than my gratefulness for the opportunity to spend this time with you and all your listeners. My mom taught me the greatest life lesson I've ever learned. It's not how long you live. It's how you choose to live your life. So if you're not happy where you are, choose to step in, choose to be courageous. Eric, you've had so much success from so many different, from entrepreneurship to jewelry to all the different businesses and things that you've done, and you've made this courageous step to step into this passion, that's what it's all about. And so you've got to make those choices in life. And so Matt, Eric, I, I appreciate you both. And to all your listeners, just choose to attack your very best one day yeah, at a time. So good. Ben, Fantastic. thank you so much. That was awesome. Amazing. It definitely could have done like two more hours of this. Yeah, Easy. yeah. Thank you, Ben. Hey, where can people check out your work? Yeah, please send them. So at, uh, at continued fight is on Instagram. And, uh, those are my thoughts. That's me posting on my story. We do have members of our team that help with things, yeah, yeah. but 90% of the content, unless yeah. it's posting videos, cause I don't know how to do anything with all that <laughs> stuff. You're, it's actually me. And then bennewman.net is the website to learn about all of our work. Thank I really you, appreciate it, man. What a it's gift. Fantastic. Thank you so much. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a man on a mission. I'm a man on a mission.